0: Happy New Year. Bitcoin is trading at $45,700, making a massive move to the upside on January 1st. Exactly what we all wanted to see, all in anticipation of a potential approval of a Bitcoin spot ETF, which some, including Reuters, are saying could happen as soon as today. Bitcoin is pumping, ETF is coming kind of washing out a lot of the bad news that we've discussed on this channel, at least for the crypto and Bitcoin market. Can't wait to do Macro Monday on a Tuesday again with James Lavish, Mike McGlone and Dave Weisberger. Guys, you do not want to miss this one. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of Wall Street. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and smash. I said smash for the first time in a long time. uh, Smash that like button. It is a new year, new me, new you, new all of those things. But what we do have is some new price action with Bitcoin and some new hype about the approval of a Bitcoin spot ETF. Let's get right into it now. I've got Mike James and Dave, all four of us, guys. It feels like it's been a while. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Is this thing getting approved today? Is that really a, really a possibility? That's coming from Reuters right here, not me. The SEC may notify Bitcoin spot ETF issuers as soon as Tuesday or Wednesday. They've been cleared to launch the following week, said sources. Of course, uh, we wouldn't probably hear about that today. <laughs> Let's be honest. If they're going to find out, that doesn't mean that we will. But uh, this, I think after late. that,
1: yeah, I think after that, uh, um, that Reuters article came out, I think BlackRock had a comment that they would they don't expect anything, you know, before the end of this week, at least. I think uh, I saw that somewhere as well. Yeah, it's
2: the, the fifth is the last day of the comment period for one of them. So that's what uh, our best our, our buddies say. Scott, I think that's the most likely.
0: So that gives us till Friday. They don't usually do those things necessarily on a Friday. But like I said, either way, this seems like we're getting into the inevitable phase. We have a ton (laughs) of updates. I don't necessarily have the full summary. I can just tell you we've seen a lot of them naming their APs. Ironically, J.P. Morgan being the leader AP for many of these filings, as Jamie Dimon goes on, uh, you know, TV and in front of the Senate and Congress and talks about how cursed we are and we're the worst, and Bitcoin shouldn't exist and we should kill it all. Uh, never. Wait,
1: wait, but their fees? To... <laughs> but you said their fees? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can make money.
1: Okay. Yeah. But I
0: mean, and that, and now we're already seeing uh, two other things. We're seeing the marketing war begin. We have a Bitwise commercial. I know a Van Eck commercial, Mike, as you said, grayscale advertising all over the place, everywhere you go, every airport. And now we're having the fee battle, right? Uh, I know I saw that Invesco Galaxy Novogratz saying they're going to waive fees for the first six months. We're seeing some come in, I think, as low as like 0.49%. I don't want to quote it wrong, but this is really, really beginning to happen.
1: And it and it also demonstrates just how strongly uh, Bitcoin has decoupled from risk assets and is absolutely, uh, you know, beholden to this ETF event horizon. So this is an event-driven trade at this point for for some people. And uh, long-term, obviously, it's not. We all we'll, we'll, I'll own it forever. But at this point, it's acting like that.
0: Well, you'll own it forever. Also, not in an ETF. Correct. Correct. So the, there's because the one. A, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Well, the one thing
2: that that's that's amazing today, uh, and I, I just got just look at the well. I mean, that's kind of stupid, but the the futures spread to the CME futures right now are is up to right now it's around two hundred and thirty basis points. The scale is kind of crazy. So hold on. 240 basis points, which is insane. Uh, We're talking literally something that's going to expire in 24 days. Uh, So even no matter what your interest rate is, that's crazy. So what it's telling you is uh, this rally uh, is there are people who got caught short in the U.S. that only use futures to buy it, and they're buying it, which when when this spread inevitably comes down, you'll see some softening. uh, But... You know, that's assuming that whoever's short uh, has been able to get what they needed to get. And it's you know, we've seen this a couple times. The last time we saw the rally that it, it go like this, the rally had legs until this spread came down. Probably the single most important indicator for traders to see, just so you can look at what I'm looking at really quickly. Um where are we we'll do that. This is our dashboard. But you can see this is the thing I'm looking at right here where I'm waving my cursor around. That's the spread between Bitcoin USD uh, spot and the January future on the the CME. And and those numbers are big. I mean, that number, realistically, you know, the way it normally trades, you would expect that number to be somewhere around 120 basis points would be healthy, but still high. You could make money at it. 240 is crazy. Uh, It's a thousand dollar spread to put that in in perspective. So it's kind of nuts.
1: I'm just interested in how just how many tabs you have open on that window. <laughs> it's like thirty.
2: It's because I'm lazy. You know, I open stuff, and close them. Uh, I can't help it. But you know, it's like when I'm looking at stuff. It's like so. I have one of, of the of the, the 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 dashboards that have the spread situated. Another one that has other pairs coins and things and then looking at statistics who's trading through a system alerts and all the other stuff and then all the stuff that i'm writing like specifications and stuff so it's kind of nuts but you know what yeah i mean
0: <laughs> when we're looking at funding dave you're talking obviously about the spreads when you're looking at funding on those perpetuals it's literally the most expensive it's ever been in history to be long by the way that's not generally a bullish signal
3: right? no i mean this is the funding not. rates on
0: every and when you look, I mean, when you annualize it right now, 6 it's costing 66% interest annualized effectively to be long Bitcoin right now. You're getting oh, paid massively to be short. And this is the setup. W- which exchange are you deal. talking about? This is uh, from matrix point, point, if you annualize it, like I said, you know these roll like every eight well, hours. Okay, but, but
2: I'm looking directly on the exchanges. So Binance Futures funding rate is 0.06%.
0: Yeah, that's right here. 0.0678, six seven eight. Normal. I'm seeing. Yeah, what? I'm seeing 0.0678, but this is on CoinGlass. But that's yeah, 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 same right, thing. Yeah, yeah,
2: That's not. I've. It's been much higher. Um, but yeah, the fact of the matter is they're doing. The reason they're doing that is that the their inverse perpetuals right now are trading at about a sixty dollar premium, not thousand dollar premium, sixty dollar premium, which is and, and until that premium goes away, which it will. I mean, it's lasted. I can remember the first all-time time we made the all-time high. And then the second time, one was two weeks, one was three weeks where <laughs> the, the futures were trading, the inverse perpetual swaps were trading between 50 and $80 above. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't quite that. But whatever it was, it was <clears throat> around these levels, maybe a little bit higher uh, for two or three weeks, which is insane. Uh, it just basically goes to show you that there are speculators out there that are covering their shorts. I mean, I, I, I made a tweet this morning, and I think it's important for people to understand. When you think about the Bitcoin market, you have to understand that the ETF is is bringing in a sea change. I always look at it this way: it's it's it just it, it's a mental model that we have spe- we have crypto native folks us who, when, when we trade, and, and I, I don't trade on leverage anymore, but they're the crypto-native folks who rotate between Bitcoin and Ether. Yeah, sometimes you get new money to invest. Sometimes you put cash on the sidelines, et cetera. But it's crypto-native folks. And those people, quite frankly, tend to be the chasers, the, the leverage pushers, the reason we get blow-off tops and big sell-offs and all that stuff. <laughs> that clearly uh, has flipped as we turn into January, from cautiously negative to uh-oh, and so that's what we're seeing today. The second category are the you call them the the, the DCAers. The You know, Mike Alfreds, you know, I think you, Scott, me, myself, James, people who are Bitcoiners, who believe in Bitcoin and who are putting available assets into Bitcoin, but for the most part are holding on to what they have. They're not selling anything and they're very patient in buying. Those people are starting to get less patient and getting closer toward fully allocated. So you're seeing that. The third category is the one that matters. That's the one where Mike and I disagree on. And the third category are the news, the, com- the people who are yet to be converted to Bitcoin, which is the vast majority of humanity. As much as we don't like to admit that, it's just true. And so fitting. it is. It's the, it's, and it's all the big pools of money. Those people will are dip. There are a few. It's a trickle now of people dipping their toe in ahead of the ETF stuff. But the reality is, is the actual approvals will turn that trickle into a stream. So you'll get more. But eventually, for it to turn into a raging flood takes time, and the marketing and whatnot, and people have to become convinced. And there's a a concept in every building of a network, and Bitcoin is a network at its core, called critical mass. At some point, you reach a tipping point. And that tipping point, which we are a long way from, is Bitcoin at at a market cap beyond gold where people say this is the new store of value, and volatility starts to decrease. Why? Not because of the price, although that certainly won't hurt. It's because that third category, it becomes mainstream. Bitcoin goes mainstream, and the control of the asset price is much less in the hands of the crypto-native speculators. And that's really kind of my mental model. So when I look at this morning, I mean, yeah, I'm pleased to see it, it, but it looks like the kind of move that could easily get faded when they don't approve an ETF today because there's common periods open. But clearly, there are some people who are just afraid that this could happen. They read the Reuters story and it's like, uh uh-oh.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, it's trading. I'm not going to say it's been approved. But like I said, the approval could be direct from the SEC to the issuer and not public for quite a while. I'm just showing a chart. I mean, it had obviously a pennant it was in for a month. If you are a classical chartist, this is the most classic bull pennant you get, right? And this is targeting, it never hits target, but 54,000. But you're up 7, 8% uh, since that Reuters story came out. I'm not saying it's the reason, but maybe there's somebody that knows that these things are approved and it's starting to move, or maybe it is just hype. But I mean, this is a absolutely beautiful chart. And I mean, it's you know, it's been 2024 for uh all of like 36 hours and uh we're trading you know up yeah. seven eight percent
2: right but I, it, but the key word here is delinking and i know that yeah that you know you said it, it makes me smile it's my victory lap ish but i don't really want a victory lap what i really want is to is for for things to play out in, in the way that i want them to play out uh the the absolute reality is, is the backdrop of all of this let's not kid ourselves the biggest headwind that bitcoin faces is still macro if you believe that we are going to see a dump in risk assets. That is still the biggest potential headwind which is why we, you know I'm teeing you up, Mike, so be ready. <laughs> it's time for the first morning call of the year.
0: <laughs> now, they didn't have one today, right, Mike? But you do get to respond and give your opinion anyways.
3: Well, I, I need to point out, we do agree completely on the macro. I just I got so sick of writing about it five years ago when Bitcoin was cheap. When it looks expensive to me, I like to focus less on the diminishing supply, increasing adoption factor and ETFs. I mean, it's something that we all get. Um, it just when it you know when it was this time last year when it was extraordinarily cheap and Solana was down 97 percent or something it was just silly stupid ex- silly stupid cheap. Now it's getting a little silly expensive. And but to me and, and I completely agree with the macro is um, what's happening today is insignificant. Even with this morning with the equities down about one percent and Bitcoin up eight percent on the year so far is kind of a little bit bubblish. But the fact is that if we look at the last two years, the risk this year is just a normal reversion of what happened last year. So everything went down in 2022. Bitcoin went down the most. Everything went up last year in 2023. Bitcoin went up the most. And what's the problem now? We all have the here nothing but the bullish hopium, which is great. It's this way it should be. But as a responsive, rational risk taker, you got to be careful getting overweight long here. Now, 15 at the end of last year was, yeah, you take the risk there. But here's the problem now is um, we look at one asset I see settling and reaching all time new highs. That's gold um, and another asset that's continuing to creep lower and doing showing major economic global economic risks. That's crude oil and copper. Um, and then we look at you mentioned um, you know bond yields and they're still declining the, this tilt towards. Recession, I think, might accelerate partly partly because last year was too many people leaning that way now we're all leaning the other way, so I look at twenty twenty four is going to be a very simple year now we're going to have issues that we can't predict, but very simple in terms of doing the exact same thing it did last year. Reversions, your biggest risk now less on commodities, I think because they've already they're still too expensive and they're heading lower. But the biggest risk is risk assets. we all seen the NASDAq up almost fifty percent in one year um and China's hailing towards recession. Europe's heading towards recession. The Fed hasn't started easing yet. We're still well behind that. And Bitcoin is one thing we've ex- certainly, I think, concluded in, in the you know, the 20 minutes we've been talking already this morning, it's this this Bitcoin is the world's number one 24-7 traded vehicle. And it's still a risky asset. I mean, it still trades two to three times the volatility of gold in the S&P 500. So um, I, I look at it as this year, if you were extraordinarily bullish and you bought some GBTC at the end of last year, are you overweighting or are you lightening up? this time of year. Rational. You, you know that we always get the silly people in at the peaks and the troughs, but now it's getting a little silly and we haven't had the ETF yet. And I completely agree. Yes, ETF is going to change everything, but you know some of us have been waiting for this for five years. And we've had a decent appreciation.
1: Yeah. yeah, James, I, yeah, go ahead. Yep. Well, I mean, look, you guys have done this as well. I know Mike and and David have also done this, but when you're in the event-driven world, the the beta to the rest of the world goes to pretty much zero. It doesn't matter when you're in an event purely event-driven situation and it's trading off of that, right? And So what's interesting about this is exactly what you just said, Mike, is that it is a risk asset. It's the leading risk asset. It's been the leading risk asset. It's the tip of the spear of risk assets for years. But uh, the reality is that if and when we do get ETFs approved, they there's there will be capital that comes into this, and it eventually will have an. There will be enough capital that comes into it that dampens that volatility. In my opinion. And that, in and of itself, is part of this event-driven kind of—I uh, hate to say trade—but activity, price action. The event-driven price action is uh, that is also factored into this. So that's that's the interesting part about this. I, I, nobody knows where Bitcoin's going to go, obviously. However, this, this is this is a this is the most fascinating event-driven trade I've ever been involved in. It, it, it's in, incredible how this is acting as opposed to what it was acting like just a year ago. And so that, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, I, well, it's mostly a year ago. And the funny thing is, is like, you know, I I, I, I kind of wanted to write about this. You know, if you if you ever study, you know, when I went, I was in school, I took so many intro courses, it was crazy, but intro to sociology. They, they teach about Yamamamo Indians in Amazon, <laughs> slash and urban agriculture. <laughs> And basically what happens with the, with with this group of people, and this is why there's issues in the rainforest, by the way, is they realized that the most fertile ground ever is if you burn down an area of the forest and then till that into yeah. the soil, it makes the soil incredibly fertile for crops. Yeah. 2022, crypto damn near got burned down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you saw all, so much happening. And in 2023, crops were being planted. And people are saying 2024 is when we're going to start being able to harvest some of those some of those plantings. Now, it's not a perfect analogy because the reality is, is part of the reason that it, that it needed to be done is we had fraudsters in our midst, right? You know, Mashinsky committed fraud. Steve Ehrlich not convict not convicted, but I think that uh, his re- his representations I believe were fraudulent. I'm sure Scott would agree. God knows, Sam Bankman-Fried's been convicted of fraud. Uh, you know, Do Quan hasn't been convicted yet, but it's coming. Uh, and lots and lots of people around that. And there's still a lot of crap in the industry. We all understand it. Whenever you make have this kind of money being made by people, it's a honeypot. Anyone who, who traded Internet stocks or OTC stocks in the early 2000s and the late 90s know you're going to attract enormous amounts of fraud. And in fact, the crypto frauds on a scale were still tiny relative compared to WorldCom and Enron and all the other crap that was going on back then. But the fact is, is that needed to be cleared out. Binance, was a big overhang. And we have talked about that in the market. And more or less, that's cleared out. There really isn't any overhang except for what's an existential battle for DeFi and for self-custody versus the Elizabeth Warrens of the world. But I don't think people in crypto think they're going to lose that. The difference is there were lots of people in crypto who believed there was a chance that every one of those other bad things could be an existential killer of Bitcoin. Those are gone. And so when you're looking at an environment, now the question becomes, really, is Bitcoin going to lead the pack by being that global store of value? And if it gets to critical mass because all these potential impediments have gone away, then those bullish flags become very interesting right because you know where is you know where's price discovery the funniest part about all this is if we were having this conversation and we were in, and 45000 was a new all time high it's a different call but the reality yeah. is the all time high not just once but twice was over 60000 right you yeah. know months apart so we're not even we're not even recovered back to where we were when the hopium was being mainlined, I mean, when when Mike was completely right, and I'm sure, you know, I don't know, we weren't really talking back then, but the fact is, is when Bitcoin traded past 60,000, not once, but twice, uh, there was a lot more hopium. Understand the network, the hash rate of the Bitcoin network is more than triple
0: now. And by the way, I think yesterday was an all-time high for a single day in Bitcoin transactions.
2: Right, so if you look at what's going on, you know, that compared to the previous all-time high, you have triple the size of the network. So arguably, people who care about fundamentals in Bitcoin will look at it and say, OK, well, we're triple that, so we should be at $180,000. okay cool your jets, but the truth of the matter is that's what they're going to say. The second thing they're going to say is that, wait a minute, it's about to be unlocked for 90% of the, of the world's wealth, which, which it was previously really inaccessible to. Uh, at least uh, 90 maybe too high, but 70. And we don't know what that's going to be, but we know that's going to be large. And at the same time, you had Michael Saylor two years ago pitching to thousands of corporate CEOs and CFOs. And basically, all of them said, but our board won't let us buy this because the accounting treatment has changed. As of today, anyone whose fiscal year starts from now forward can adopt Bitcoin on their balance sheet without any issue. And I urge everyone to read Ross Stevens from. Uh, you know, uh, year-end missive talking about why he stealthily, not stealthily, he told people about it, but no one really thought about it, used Bitcoin on his balance sheet to understand that's another pool of capital that's available. That's why I think of the D-Link. That's my reason.
0: I mean, we've had had, statistically, we've had the dealing for uh, almost a year. I'm not saying that they won't link again. I think we all know that all correlations go to one in a black swan or in a major collapse. Right. Bitcoin's kind of been doing its own thing to some degree. But but it's important
2: to understand Mike's base case for the stock market, which I tend to agree with, is this will not be different. When the Fed starts cutting, it's going to be the market's going to sell off.
0: Mike, I want to talk about that right now, because Bloomberg just did their outlook 2024 And we kind of just, I see in the comments and I see people talking about this consensus idea that everything is mega bullish, new bull market. I don't know that that's really the consensus. I think people are very bullish on Bitcoin specifically because of the ETF, the cycle. I think there's a lot of reasons, but I don't think people have gotten there yet on the macro. You talk about here's almost everything Wall Street expects in 2024, by the way, they're always wrong on the consensus. So if you read the article, they say, listen, everybody's sort of in the middle. So we're probably going to get either a massive sell-off or a massive pump, right? We won't have a calm year as everyone's predicting, but we can just superficially look through these, right? This is literally like uh, institution by institution. BlackRock, our bottom line for 2024, this is a regime of slower growth, higher inflation, higher interest rates, and greater volatility. Brandywine, the odds of recession are not Trivial BNY, we expect a healthy and welcome slowdown next year. The consensus, I read through a bunch of these. Every single one says probably a recession, but maybe a shallow one for the next year. But everybody hedging. Invesco, we think the global economy is entering a brief period of below trend growth driven by recent monetary policy tightening, blah, 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 blah. Guys, there is no no nobody willing to stick their neck out, at least from an institution right now, and say, hey, man, new bull market, this is going to go crazy. I mean, Mike, what are we missing here between... What it seems like people are talking about on X and what these institutions are saying, because it seems like everybody's sort of in your camp, although maybe not expecting quite as much downside.
3: Well, I think it's classic human nature. Anybody who was wrong in the stock market last year, which I was, um, has to really be careful and hedge, and you can't keep saying the same things. But it keep, it reminds me of what that famous quote from Rob's, Roger Babson in September 1929 is. That, I repeat what I said to you. The year before and the year before that, when he was bearish on the equity market, and he was wrong. And it's just, I think it's a similar situation. But here's the key thing, the way I look at is, I have never in my many decades in the business, seen a market, a global market, so completely dependent on one thing going up this year for us not to tilt towards glo- significant global deflation. That's the US stock market it has to have an up year. Because if it doesn't, everything I see from commodities is tilting towards global deflation. I mean, gold's the only thing up. Everything else is down. Okay, that's already starting there. The the hikes that we well, were just hiking. Every country, most central banks were just hiking back in September. That's right when crude oil peaked. Crude oil goes up. What does that mean? Well, they can't cut because it means inflation. Um, It's just one of those things. I just look at the risks are so great that it probably says to me is, well, why take that risk? I mean, just be underweight. And there's alternatives. No, there's Bitcoin. But I think Bitcoin, if the equity market goes down, I think Bitcoin will lead it. And obviously, today's not the best example. It's one key. But the thing is, the bottom line is there's so much risk tilted on this one asset. I say the US stock market, because if you measure it versus global GDP versus US GDP versus the rest of the world's stock markets, it's the most expensive ever. It's just, okay, thank you. I mean, US is a great place, but at some point you have to expect just a little reversion there. And then you have that deflationary tilt, which I think I'll end with this is completely historical look back. And if we get deflation this year, It'll look back and this "Oh, it's completely a normal reciprocity to the extreme inflation we had to the peak in 2022." So, I have a question for you, Mike.
2: What do you What do you think about this theory? I feel like the S and P, Nasdaq, basically the the, the Magnificent Seven, uh, and the stuff that's it's carrying along feels to me a lot like it did in 2000 so yeah, oh, yeah. 2001, yeah. Uh, when uh, TAC, when people had to sell. Because of capital gains in, oh, yeah. in March caused some rather vicious downside action, which recovered before it finally, you know, it did rally back and then got crushed again in the yeah. fall. But the spring was the shadow dump. I feel like the stock market, which is still dependent upon cash flows of companies as opposed to uh, protecting the value of one's asset, and I will always, always do that is set up for, and, and back then it wasn't everything that fell. It was all the high flyers that got crushed. But the internet stocks got got had a shadow crush. It feels to me like everything that people had to sell because we know that people need have needed to take gains to fund their Christmas presents and all their spending, which we've seen been pretty high. It feels to me like there's a real potential that that tax season, uh could be a little bit of a of a pin to that 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 balloon that you're talking about I, i'm not saying it's going to happen but feels like a real possibility to
3: me it, it makes a lot it makes a lot of sense and one thing i really enjoyed about cryptos early on and those of us who've um had to write checks to the irs all our lives for capital gains <laughs> and deduct the losses is when they were all, the, all these people who made so much money in cryptos i would speak to them and off the record was yeah oh, i'm not paying tax. i'm like are you nuts <laughs> you got to pay your taxes. The IRS will always get you. It's uh, just a lesson I've learned from uh-huh. my brokerage friends who their accounts would be cleared out because if IRS would just jump into their accounts. But that, to me, I think that's a key factor. I'm, brought, I'm glad you brought that in. But something I want to tilt over to also is the amount of easing we have priced in, in um, it's james is an james is an expert on too and in for um sulfur futures is right now about 150 basis points um for the year and i look at that as okay we raised 100 basis points last year and you look in the big picture well, that's not a big deal but what's going to take from the really cut a lot and the cut that much we all know i think it's going to take weaker equity markets and i, I look at it as the Key thing is also with the election coming up is the market's just priced for so many, it's just so expensive now in terms of um, stock market. And there's so much easing priced in the system. It's just almost the complete opposite of last year. We all know, okay, is it gonna be that easy in 2024? Where you are supposed to just say, yeah, okay, made a lot of money. Maybe I should just take some. And as we head tilt towards tax season, then you're forced to take some and you don't wanna be doing it on the downtick.
0: James, I think you said last week how every single thing was priced to perfection right now. I would say yeah. now they're overpriced beyond perfection, but uh, Mike obviously just brought up, up. Sofer. You wrote a newsletter, by the way, I'm going to give the soft pitch right now for the informationist for all of you guys out there. I don't know why I don't tell you about this on literally every show, but it's one of my favorite newsletters that uh, James writes weekly incredible, but that's exactly what you talked about this week is sort of this smoke signal and the cost of borrowing overnight uh, shooting up massively, which, I, you know, Preston Fish, your friend, said here in in this tweet. I mean, maybe this is the biggest smoke signal we've ever seen from this uh, indicator, but it's just yet another one of these, how is this all happening in the background and things are still going up situations.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's not the biggest smoke signal. So let's first of all let's back up really quickly and thank you for the yeah the uh, the soft push. Um, So the the what is SOFR? SOFR is the secured overnight financing rate, right? And it's basically what they what what the Fed has created to take the place of LIBOR because LIBOR. uh, So the basic difference is that SOFR is is based on real transactions, and LIBOR was based on uh, like surveys. Of transactions like estimates, and so it was e- really easy to manipulate LIBOR. And so the thing is, when 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 you have a SOFR trade settle something that's based on sofer, it, it it's based on collateral. Whereas LIBOR, I mean, we we had LIBOR uh, trades and LIBOR based uh, interest rates on things that didn't have any collateral and and hedge funds, basically just derivatives, you know, and so derivatives on derivatives. And so super, super easy to manipulate. So that's really important to understand that SOFR is difficult to manipulate. That when you see a SOFR, when you see a SOFR pricing, it's real, it's a real trade and it's, they're monitored. And so you can see what's actually happened and, and they're just, they're accumulated and, and, and uh, they, they, they take averages um, to simplify it. But basically, what you're looking at is you're looking at the SOFR. What's important to look at when you see SOFR is what the, what is the spread between SOFR and the effective Fed funds rate? So you have the Fed funds rate, which the Fed sets, but then the effective rate, which is actually where transactions are being settled in the market. Remember, Fed funds, I mean, this, these are day-to-day uh, borrowings and, uh, and lendings from bank to bank that uh, they're charging each other. <clears throat> Close to the Fed funds rate, but uh, they're they're not demanding. It's not based on collateral. Let's put it that way. So, the on the last day of the year, SOFR jumped. This is this is not atypical, right, Dave? I mean, we see this where it will jump, where you have banks and you have. Um, Financial companies, hedge funds move large amounts of capital in order to uh, rebalance their their balance sheets and and their positioning and their and their risk parameters. Really, a lot of it is just window dressing. Uh, often, <laughs> so at the end of the year, you'll see these these things move, and it could be it could be just window dressing. So, I expect today for this to go down to where you know back to kind of the level where it was. Is it a big move? Yeah it is. I mean when you look at what happened to so, the sofer spread compared to uh SVB collapsing this is above that. So it was a big it's a big move. Uh so what it does tell me though is that there's a there is a lot of of uh there is a larger need of liquidity out there a, po- a possibly a much larger need of liquidity out there than people are are maybe attributing. And so it's a smoke signal in that, hey, if we do have a problem, let's go back and look at what happened in 2019 and look at where SOFR went then. And that is that don't blow people's minds because and, and pe- many people probably don't even remember this. But in 2019, back in the fall of 2019 in September, Mike and Dave remember this well. Um, you had a situation where the, uh, you know, you. There was so little liquidity that the SOFR pushed all the way up to almost a 300 basis point spread to Fed funds, which is just, it's just mind boggling. So obviously the treasury and the Fed had to step in and inject liquidity because, you know, you had, it was just a a confluence of events where the treasury had a big auction it was settling the same day as tax payments were due, and cor- you know companies were were moving money around for tax payments. It, it was it was a fumble. Let's put it that way. It was a liquidity fumble from the Treasury and the Fed, and they had to step in and basically you know shore up the Treasury market because it did get un- unruly, and so it was uh, it was a pretty scary moment for people in in that financial sector of the market, and uh, so. That's the kind of thing that I'm looking for on a red flag. Hey, we have a Houston, we have a problem in the SOFR world. But by then, honestly, it's too late. So it's really, you're looking at things like, all right, the reverse repo balances are being drawn down. Once those are gone, then you're going to start seeing repo balances go up. Because what the Fed did is they instilled, it's just a, a daily repo facility that uh, that these companies and and financial companies can use, the banks can use, to prevent something like this sofa, uh situation. So if that if that all makes sense.
0: Yeah, that uh, that all makes perfect sense. I think, um, like I said, it's just one of those multiple smoke signals when you look at the plumbing.
1: It just yeah, looking and you're, at I mean, you're looking really at the working working behind it's the scenes, but cool. the it, yeah, yeah, it's going up. I mean it's it's on a it's on a, an upward trajectory that the volume is going up. So let let's see where this goes and and what is going to what is going to trip that and make it and 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 make people realize that when there, there's so much leverage in the system that when there is a need for liquidity, it will be too late. And that's why I keep saying that watch out for a credit event because when there is one, it's going to be too late. There's gonna be the need, like like long-term capital management. There's going to be the need for one or a few entities that are interlinked that will cause so much contagion that there will that it, it would threaten the collapse of, of financial systems. There's just that much leverage out there. I'm not saying that's happening, but I'm saying that the the problem is that it's a non-zero probability. And in when it and if and when it does, hang on tight.
0: Yeah, Mike, okay, Dave, I see you have something to say. Go ahead and then I'll ask Mike a question.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's really simple to understand that a lot of the and I love Mike's words so I'm coming to plagiarize again. A lot of the hopium uh, that exists in in some markets <laughs> has to do with the the you know, look, 150 basis points of cuts priced in is insane unless you actually believe there will be a credit event because there's you you be be simple, there's no effing way they're going to cut that much unless there is a threatened seize up in the financial system. If all of a sudden now the market is betting that the Fed is going to see this in advance and prevent it from happening, then that would be the first time that they ever acted pro- they ever were successful proactively. Have you have they ever been proactive in your in your estimation, James? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's really important to understand that, that that when it sounds very clinical, but a non-zero risk of a credit event sounds clinical. What James is mm-hmm. saying is there's a non-zero risk that 2008 repeats.
1: That's right. And so the problem is, it's not that there's a high, the, I'm not saying that there's an 80% chance of a credit event. What I'm saying is, and, and risk reward probabilities, you have to, you have to include you know that you have to include that delta move off of where you are, right? So, it, when you when you look at a, at a at a credit event, it's not just is the likelihood of a credit event. It's how big is that credit event going to be? Is it going to be like we saw in uh, in the UK with the guilt situation and there uh, and and how. The, their insurance companies were so leveraged with these with these uh, leveraged debt instruments that it was ca- it was possibly catastrophic. and that's the problem is that it's not just that there's a zero probability. It's that the probability is if something does happen, it's likely catastrophic. And so that's the problem that, that's where that risk reward calculation gets skewed.
0: Yeah, Mike. The question that I wanted to ask you is about what's happening with oil before we circle back to Bitcoin to to end. Obviously, uh, as I'm reviewing things, I saw there was a nice little jump in oil this morning, maybe two percent. Uh, you know, not not trivial, but not huge. But uh, as a result, no, I don't see it here. But largely of what's happening in the Red Sea, right? Uh, I think an Iranian warship entered the Red Sea. The Houthis are attacking everything that passes by, and I guess there's some fear uh the supply chain could be interrupted but what's happening with oil
3: so i want to stick my neck out and allow people to at the end of the year say hey potentially mcglone you're an idiot i think you're going to see a 40 handle on oil this year maybe going down to 40 dollars a barrel raise my hand if i'm wrong tell me i'm guilty it's the way crude oil has worked since i've been trading it in the 90s when in the pits when um saddam was saying initially invaded Kuwait, it went to 40, dropped down to 20, and took 14 years to go back above 40. We're doing the same thing, but in a much worse case now. And that is, um, what's happening in crude oil is the simple facts of elasticity of supply and demand are kicking in exponentially. So um, it's what you're seeing is noise. I mean, there's always going to be violence in the Middle East. We grew up with that. And can that cut supply? And if it does, where's it going to cut supply to? To the U.S.? No, that's changed. The world's changed. We are net... Exporter. If you see supply bottlenecks, that kind of makes us build up our inventory, which short term is bad. But what you see now is still the backward end of the downward cycle from um, Saddam Hussein, I'm sorry, not Hussein, but Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And I had to say one person because it's more him than a country. Um, and it's very likely you have to shut off what's really pressured crude oil for the last 10 years, and that is the excess of U.S. and Canadian supply versus demand. It's it's accelerating. It's actually near six million barrels a day if you include liquid fuels. I come from a farm background. We got a lot of ethanol, which is now being matched by OPEC spare capacity. They're cutting as much as we're. It just. It's just a lose-lose. So I see crude oil right now seventy-one. I'm going to write probably publishing tomorrow. Said to editors right now, if you saw me typing a little, the next twenty bucks in crude oil thinks is down, and that's towards fifty and gets to forty to get cheap. You got to get cheap to shut it off to shut off what's pressuring prices, and that's the U.S. Um, supply and demand surplus. So. Uh, what you see out of OPEC is just—it's silly that people still focus on it because they're reading from the textbooks, and the answers have all changed. It's a quote, quote from um, Einstein: "The answers have all changed. The world's completely different." I think it's heading towards uh, 40, and when people are saying it's going to 150, I'm like, you're ignoring copper and corn. You got to watch the whole the whole space. So that's part of the reason I think I'll I'll end with this. I think normal commodity deflation—just follow natural gas—you'll see crude oil at 40—is going to continue to fuel gold inflation. Um, and part of that is giving the Fed reason to ease. But here's the problem. Let's say we have a little bit of an issue in the Middle East and crude oil something spikes to 90. What does that do for Fed easing and all this hope young people have for lower rates? Poof, it's gone.
0: Dave, you're muted.
3: <laughs> I, I really
2: wonder about that, Mike. I think that the Fed isn't stupid. I mean, you know, they may be slow. They may do a lot of things, but it's not... Everyone knows that when oil prices spike, it's a, it, it actually holds back consumer spending, consumer demand. It is a tax on the economy. And so, yeah, the headline inflation goes up. I don't know precisely how the PCAE deflator, which is their preferred inflation index, works compared to the CPI. But I'd be willing to bet that it, it will move less than the CPI in such an oil shock. And they'll see aggregate demand getting crushed. So I wonder if that affects it. I think that the real question from the Fed is is James's question. They won't ease until financial plumbing looks like it's about to seize up or has already seized up. I think, and I think the world is basically saying they think something is going to seize up.
0: Or they see. Doesn't that doesn't that imply that? Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't that imply that at the last meeting that Powell knows something we don't because he basically said that they were going to pivot or ease without. That it, it
2: implies it's an election year in my very cynical way of looking at things.
3: Yeah. Well, that's part of that's part of a bearish bent for crude oil. It is an election year, and the world's largest energy producer, net exporter, was more likely incumbents will get elected if prices are lower.
1: Yeah, and and there's tremendous. I mean, look, is the Fed run by the executive office and by Congress? No, but there's tremendous political pressure and pressure from various non political entities for the Fed to, you know. Start lowering rates soon, and they'll look. I, I've never thought that we would get to the two percent normal inflation and and kind of stay there. I I, I think we're going to have a trajectory that shows that we are. Whether or not the CPI, you know, I mean, how accurate is that? We we've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, but I I just believe that we're 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 going to allow we're going to need and allow for higher Perpetual inflation. And so in order to do that, you're you're not going to be able to crush the economy. Like that would be that would be the nightmare scenario. There's two nightmare scenarios, right? There's the the scenario where the Fed goes and raises rates again and you know just annihilates the economy. Or the other one is the Fed eases up too quickly and allows for inflation to run rampant. So they're they're trying. Yeah, Mike, go ahead. But I, I, I'm glad you mentioned it.
3: That, right? that's, that's a thing, key thing of human nature. I think people are underestimating when they're pricing. So for, you know, for 150 base points of cuts, I think they hike too much. But that's a part of human nature that's changed forever, that we grew up with it. And that is the Fed had a good reason to ease through the last 12 years and, and somewhat aggressively because inflation was gone. But now we've learned that lesson. We learned what happens when you create too much liquid you get inflation so that to me is why we're supposed to get this normal reversion now obviously we didn't get it last year in terms of equities but the market's going to learn i think a lesson this year that is um the fed will just not ease with the ease it has in the past until it gets that bad they might you know start with a 25 basis point cut if you know stock market's down 10 percent and inflation's declining but the key thing here is i want to point out in terms of the facts also let's just look at ppi right now is Deflating. It's down nine tenths of a percent. The latest PPI reading. The S and the Bloomberg Commodity Index is down eleven percent over the same twelve month basis. I think that's going to get worse. I think there's going to be reason for them to to cut. But I think for it to really get worse, you have to see that just a little baby reversion in the equity market. That's where I see the the dominoes just tumbling for deflation this year. And, and here's the main definition of deflation. It always comes from a base level that just gets too high. I mean, it's always the way it's happened. Nineteen twenty-nine was the best example in history. The base just got too high, and then we deflated until then. We the, till we debased the currency in nineteen thirty-three.
0: Yeah, uh, listen. I mean, if things start to collapse, James are gonna they're gonna save us, right? And then, <laughs> but it's interesting when we look through all these Wall Street projections, and I do want to go right back to Bitcoin in a second. But if you read through them, almost every one of them actually thinks that inflation will kind of be a little bit stickier now, right? And that we will be dealing with exactly what you said, which is a slightly higher inflation environment. Maybe you know, it's three percent instead of two percent becomes the the base level.
1: Yeah, and, I, and they're not going to they're not going to point to it. They're just going to say that, um, well, we're we're comfortable with a range, you know, of two to three percent, and then it might be like more like three to four percent, but they'll hide it and it. Look, they, we have to have confidence in in our, our in the U.S. dollar. Why? Because we have to have confidence in our treasuries. And so, it, it's a simple. I mean, it's not that complicated. Do I think that there's there there's a you know a diabolical plan from the Treasury and the Fed to you know, to to. Uh, Debase the dollar and make people poorer in this country. No, I don't think that. I just think that this is just—it's just pure economics how this is working out. And the Fed understands a range actually works better. He's more incentivized. The, the Fed is more incentivized to have a range that rather than overstay their welcome and push the economy into a into a recession or allow for that, you know, Arthur Burns rate inflation to rage out of control, a la nineteen eighties. You know, it's it's easier to have a range and be able to dial, uh, and and adjust accordingly because it it makes it just makes their job easier, and it allows for the the treasury to keep issuing as much debt as it needs to, and and it just inflates it away.
0: Yeah, that's the part I was. Your about. Yeah, it, it, exactly, Dave. Do you have something to say before I move on to the Bitcoin?
2: Yeah, well, actually, I want to talk about Bitcoin. Just as we you were talking, I watched the hyper, you know, uh, funding rate on Deribit go back to zero as as OKEx was and Deribit were both offered right around spot like no premium. Bobby is still well above spot. Uh, and then just as I was about to say that it started moving higher again. Um, so, you know, it was down at, at 45.2, now it's at 45. Uh, the iPerp around 45.4, you know, it's just,
1: nobody knows anything about it.
2: The point is not only is the price volatile, but all the people trying to do all this stuff are moving crap around. And if you can't see it, it kind of, it, it reminds me of, 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 of an old Odd Couple episode where, I'll cut to the chase. The, there, there's, there's some actor, basically, they were, it was about an occultist. And he said, we have a, a, a saying in the spirit game, what you don't know can hurt you very much. I will tell you that people who are trading directionally and trying to day trade or minute trade, who aren't looking at every single market and seeing what's going on here are getting crushed. They're getting whipsawed by every single move, which is, you know, professionals can make a lot of money when this is true. But if you have to ask yourself the question, you know, what are other people doing? They're trading against you. And it's just it's an observation from looking at the market, you know, with professional tools and understanding what you're up against. Today is like probably the poster child day for day traders who are sitting at home who are on one exchange or one place just getting run over constantly either way because they can't see what else is going on. It's just it's fascinating. Sorry.
3: But I just piggy piggyback on that a little bit. It's that's the key example extremes of last year. We all knew we were gonna go in recession and Bitcoin was cheap. Okay. So we all know now we're gonna go a soft lane guaranteed. And we see Bitcoin's expensive, but the difference is with the equity market. It's just those known knowns that yes, they're going to be having. Yes, there's an ETF. They're just such known knowns that great. A lot of that's been priced in. Dave, you nailed that from, you know, from fifteen to forty-five, and then I just look at uh, well, okay, here's the macro. You're day trader, yes, but that's the key thing I like to point about Bitcoin is it's the number one place on the planet if you're any type of a trader and this is from someone who comes from the trading pits all those ex traders they all have gone to bitcoin why because there's no better place to set up your bots and just have it knock around and today i'm sure there's more people getting stopped out than there are people getting long <laughs> yeah i have I mean, it just
1: three, 24/7 it, it's incredible it, it, it's, that, that's the that's the most incredible thing i yeah. like it, it, it's psychotic i mean just When being in arbitrage, we would trade things in uh, everywhere from Australia, New Zealand, all the way all overnight into and and so, but you had a couple hours of reprieve here and there. So even though I was trading at two thirty in the morning, you know, from from four or five p.m. until about seven or eight p.m., there was a nice little lull. There, There is never. A moment that Bitcoin isn't trading. And I mean, it's it's an incredible that, and that's what makes it so attractive. Right. I mean, that's the point.
2: I mean, (laughs) all Mm. I can tell you is 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 volumes through through coin routes this past weekend, uh, you know, over 150 million average a day on a weekend. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> that's just because it's 24-7. But there's one thing I will point out that's interesting is I was just looking at it. The amount of liquidations for this size move is tiny. Hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, long, yeah, I you know, short that. liquidations it's in 24 spot. hours.
0: I mean, spot is pushing. Yeah.
2: it's uh, the, the, But that's important, right? Yeah. You know, the short liquidations, $133 million on a 10% move, that number is usually double that. So it's about half the amount of liquidations. And yet, as you pointed out, people were still paying more to be long, which is it, it's it's a really strange situation. I'm not going to I'm not
0: going to lie. So listen, as we come to the sort of last few minutes here, I talked about earlier the fact that we're largely going to we're going to see this large, maybe massive marketing campaign for Bitcoin a la etf right so it won't be a marketing campaign necessarily for bitcoin although that's how some of them are pushing it'll be for the products but it might actually just basically be a marketing campaign for bitcoin you're talking about 14 humongous companies large budgets coming into super bowl commercial season not trying to say that'll happen or that that's even a good thing and if we uh, judge by the past
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, wasn't good the last uh, time
0: yeah but um You know, we're about to see this massive marketing campaign for Bitcoin and these ETFs with 14 people competing for AUM. We have three commercials already. I'm just gonna show them. They're really short, but here's the Bitwise commercial. I don't know if you guys have seen this.
2: Thought you would like to know Satoshi sends his regards. (laughs)
0: Look for Bitwise, my friends. Okay, so that's a kind of a Bitcoin commercial. I know it's for Bitwise, but he talked about Satoshi, which is very vague. I'm surprised they went that route. This one's just for Bitcoin. This is Vanek.
3: <laughs>
0: that's a Bitcoin. That, that's just a Bitcoin commercial, by the way. Right? Doesn't even mention the ETF. And
3: then to me the tremendous impact that the home computers have had on on everyone. And yet it seems the people I've talked to say that it takes you longer to do
0: something by putting it into a computer and calling it up again than if you just kept simple records yourself in the house. I thought that they'd all be marketing their specific product and how it uh you know is there may be
1: Bitcoin uh schools? regulations on just how much they can do that it's you know and they it's going to be that's interesting why to, they're doing it right yeah, yeah it's exactly they can. just get their names out there and uh yeah but they're all trying to clearly trying to find their footing
2: <laughs> i mean people Look, the reason Bitcoin is trading where it is and not already at your target price, Scott, is because there's still a lot of people who expect that Gary Gensler is playing the role of Lucy, and we're all playing the role of Charlie Brown.
0: <laughs> <All> the <football. laughs> With the football. Yeah. For those who don't know, it's a very
2: famous yeah. comic strip on your list. Yeah, and fully, not and I fully. And I fully. There's still people but, who. But think I, I, I maybe it'll happen. I don't know. Yeah.
1: But I fully expect that they will have their their tickers and they'll they'll be pushing them very hard once they do get approved. It's just right now you're in this funny period that, th- that. this is signaling to the street that we're going to get approved. We're just going to get these our name companies are
0: out. not spending money unless they also agree there's a 90 to 95 percent chance it's going to happen. They
1: still probably pricing
0: in that 5 percent, 10 percent. But
1: yeah, yeah, probably. But but the, what is clear? Is that there is going to be some there is going to be some massive uh, you know jockeying between these companies to try to be some of the three four five winners out of this because you're not going to I just don't see ten or twelve Bitcoin ETFs surviving for five years maybe I'm wrong yeah. but I you know I would see two three four as being the the lion's share you know and so they're go, they're going to, they're going to spend a lot of money on marketing to get there clearly.
0: Love it. And I can't wait to for it. I'm here for it. Now it's 10 a.m. Guys, a little bit of housekeeping. I saw a comment here. Does Scott even read anything from here? Well, they just that made me notice that the X comments are now coming up in my StreamYard feed for the first time. Hey. So we used to only see the YouTube comments. So the answer is yes, I am seeing those now, guys. That's A, B, guys. We tapped just on YouTube for a second there. We tapped 2,000 viewers. It was really exciting. I remember not so many weeks ago when we were tapping 1,000 viewers. So clearly there's a heavy thirst for this. Really, really exciting. And to that end, if you are watching this on X, you scroll off and all of a sudden it stops i don't know if anyone's actually tried to watch live video on X. it's really uh subpar so if you are come on over to youtube uh subscribe here and, and watch it it's a much uh probably better experience and you might get more comments see someone just said jiro said whoop that means uh, i'm seeing it see i saw your comment there on x guys very excited to start the new year with all of you i haven't talked to any of you about this but i have big plans for macro monday um outside of my channel I really kind of been thinking about separating it and creating it into something bigger because I think we have something special here that's different from the rest of the content so I plan to uh, start aggressively pushing and marketing this show and creating more content around it you've probably seen all the shorts i've been cutting your guys faces up and and or my my editors have and, and sharing it and those uh, I, I absolutely love those things so i want to thank you guys i know man we're still it's like uh, almost a holiday first day we all show up you guys are amazing. And uh, Macro Monday is going to become huge in 2024. I can just tell uh, the three of you and everybody else that. So guys, thank you, everybody. Thanks for watching. The last housekeeping is at Crypto Town Hall on Spaces after a two-week hiatus that was not my choice is back today. Uh, so we will be back on Spaces at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, gentlemen. I will see you soon. See you, fellas.